This is Charles Christoph Carter of Serial Dreadfuls, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 3 of Ghost Notes. For those of you who don't already know, Ghost Notes consists of letters, emails, texts, and other communications that have found their way to us. We don't include the author's last names, and we alter their first names when asked to do so. Any emphasis in reading these communications is added for dramatic effect. Are these accounts real, imagined, or simply works of fiction? Take a listen. We'll let you decide. This ghost note came to us as an email from one of our listeners in the Midwest. My name is Jan. I'm writing you because I don't know who else to tell about what happened. There are times when I question it myself. That is, until I look at my wrist and see the black and blue marks that encircle it the four fingers and thumb of a grasping hand. These mementos always seem to act like a splash of cold water, making me realize that it was all true, every bit of it. I used to think that they were only bruises, but after a month and a half, there's still no sign of them fading. So no, they're no longer bruises, they're marks. No, brands. And I don't think that they'll ever away. To explain what happened to me, I have to take you back to the beginning. I was, no, I still am a graduate student at a fairly well-known university in the Midwest. Unable to secure a job after graduation, I worked a series of part-time jobs to make rent, pay for my graduate classes, and have something other than instant Raymond to eat. The roommate I shared an apartment with decided to try her luck out on the West Coast. Since the lease was in her name, and she was leaving in two weeks, I had the same amount of time to scramble and find a new place. I scoured the internet listings for everything was either too expensive or frankly too sketchy. Sorry, but I'm not sharing a three-bedroom with three guys, even if one of them was supposedly gay. I was running out of time. I had just finished my shift tending bar at the strip club I worked at when one of the dancers I was friends with handed me a torn slip of paper with a phone number on it. She told me that she'd taken it from an advertisement for a place to rent that was pinned to the corkboard of her local grocery store. It was just in time, too. I had been on my way to talk to the owner about me dancing a few days a week. I have the utmost respect for the girls who do it. It's just that I'm modest and the thought of all those guys ogling me with all the bullshit that goes along with dancing kind of creeps me out. I went home, got a few hours of sleep, and called the number first thing in the morning. The woman who I spoke with sounded nice enough. Her name was Amber. She told me that she was renting a house and that it was just her for now. When she told me how much my portion of the rent would be, I almost dropped the phone in disbelief. It was half of what I was paying now, and she said that if we got any more roommates, my rent would be reduced accordingly. She gave me the address to the place, 
and I arranged to come by and see it before work that evening. Frankly, I expected the place to be a crack house or something, since it was smack dab in an area that had more than a few abandoned houses. When I pulled up to the address, I did a double take. This place certainly wasn't a crack house. It was no mere house either. It was more like a medium-sized mansion. A washed-out-looking mid-twenty-something woman with bottle-red hair answered the door. It was Amber. She apologized for her appearance and voice. She said she had come down with a cold a few weeks earlier and that she just hadn't been able to shake it. I told her not to worry about it, and she gave me the grand tour. At the end of her walkthrough, I looked her in the eye and asked her what the catch was. She told me that she didn't understand my question. I told her that a place this big, this awesome, couldn't be going for the rent she was charging without there being something wrong with it. She told me that she had moved in two months earlier and that there was no catch. She said that the owner was an elderly woman who had plenty of money and who had told her that she knew what it was like to be a young woman starting out in life and so she would go easy on the rent. That was it. I was sold. I handed Amber a month's rent right there to hold my spot. I told her that I'd be back the next day with two months security. I not only had a new place to hang my hat, it was huge. I was psyched. I moved in a few days later. Each of the bedrooms is almost the size of a studio apartment, and each one had an ensuite bathroom. The living room, dining room, and kitchen were immense, and for the most part unused, since our bedrooms were so large, I was in seventh heaven. My first week there was pretty great, except for the creaking noises in the attic above my ceiling. I asked Amber about it, but she just blamed it on the house settling, or on a squirrel or raccoon that may have found its way in. I didn't let it bother me, that is, until the sound of footsteps running down the hallway began. Because of my job, I always got home from work late, about two, sometimes as late as three in the morning. After taking a quick shower, I jumped into bed and found that just as I would be about to nod off to sleep, I'd hear them. The footsteps would start at the far end of the hall and then sprint all the way down past my door and stop at the door to Amber's room. This happened every night. It got to the point where I was getting seriously creeped out by what was going on, and I asked Amber whether she had experienced anything that she couldn't explain. She had told me no each time I had asked her. When she asked me why I had asked, I'd tell her no reason. About a month into my stay, I came home from working an early shift to find Amber passed out on the floor of the living room her cell phone a few inches from her hand. I called 911. The EMTs assessed Amber and determined that she needed to go to the hospital. I jumped in my car and followed the ambulance. The doctors stabilized Amber. They tried to get in contact with her parents who were doing missionary work in India, but could only leave a message informing them of their daughter's condition and status. They asked me whether I had noticed anything strange about Amber's behavior whether she was eating and drinking regularly. I told them that she'd been fighting a cold since I had first met her, and that since I usually worked the night shift, we didn't end up seeing that much of each other. They told me that she was severely dehydrated and malnourished. I was shocked. I told the doctors that there was tons of food in the refrigerator, and that whenever I did see Amber, she was usually eating like it was going out of style. I suggested that maybe she had an eating disorder or something. They quickly rejected that idea. 
They said that she was suffering from starvation and acute dehydration, as well as a compromised immune system. Amber was in the hospital for six weeks before she recuperated enough for the doctors to allow her to go home. During that time, I had essentially moved in with Tom, one of the bouncers from the strip club. I had tried staying in the house alone. The first night, it had been like usual. The footsteps ran down the hall and stopped outside Amber's door. The second night, however, after the footsteps stopped outside Amber's door, I heard them slowly, deliberately walk up to mine. Then I heard the breathing. I shot up straight in bed and turned on my bedroom lamp. The breathing on the other side of the door didn't stop for an hour. When I opened my bedroom door in the morning, I found a small, toy, wooden horse on the floor outside, just opposite the threshold. I had had enough. I couldn't stay in that house one more day by myself. Tom and I discussed what I should do when Amber was released from the hospital. He told me that I should leave, get the balance of my money back, and stay with him. Part of me agreed, but another part of me felt bad about leaving Amber in the lurch. I mean, she would have just gotten out of the hospital and would still be pretty fragile. The doctors had breathed a sigh of relief when I told them that I would keep a close eye on her and let them know if Amber started spiraling down again. One doctor had begun to mention sending Amber to a facility with round-the-clock care, but the other doctors quickly cut him off, saying that she hadn't shown any indications of a mental disorder during the time she had been in the hospital. So, it was decided. I would stay with Amber and keep a lookout for anything unusual with her behavior. I told Tom what I decided, more like got guilted into doing. He didn't react badly. He told me that I was an adult and that he respected my decision. He was so cool. I tried sleeping with him the first night I moved into his place, but he refused. He told me that he was helping me out as a friend and that he wasn't expecting me to put any sweat equity into paying the rent on his place. He said that he liked me a lot, but he'd only sleep with me if that's what I really wanted. Hard not to like a guy like that. Tom helped me move some of my stuff back into the house. I had told him about the noises in the attic and the footsteps racing down the hallway at night. When we finished unpacking the few essentials I had brought back, he suggested that we go up into the attic and take a look around, see if we could find anything out about the house. After about half an hour of searching, we finally found the hatch to the attic and the linen closet across from the hallway bathroom. Tom opened the hatch and pulled down the ladder that led up to the attic. He went up first. I followed. The space in the attic was immense. With the exception of three chimneys, it was all an open space the size of the entire second story. While it was stuffed with objects, they were arranged neatly. There was an antique mannequin wearing what looked to be a turn-of-the-century wedding dress. Several footlockers and steamer trunks were arranged together, as were what looked to be a number of photo albums, next to which sat several old, rusty film canisters. Tom opened one of the smaller film canisters and made his way to one of the attic windows. He carefully unrolled the film from its spool while holding it up to the light. He called me over. I remember his exact words. Hey, Jan, you're going to want to take a look at this. There, through the sunlight, Tom and I looked at frame after frame of what appeared to be a little girl chasing her younger brother around, 
It was clear that she was pretending to be a monster by the way she held her arms up menacingly, as well as the dramatic way she opened and closed her mouth, first opening it incredibly wide, and then emphasizing an underbite when she closed it so that her bottom front teeth were the only ones visible. Her younger brother appeared to be hysterical with fear as what Tom and I took to be her mother or nanny stepped into frame and shook her until she stopped. Tom looked at me with a questioning expression. He asked me if I was still sure I wanted to stay. I told him that I had said that I'd keep an eye on Amber and that if things got too crazy, I could always leave. I remember him saying that it wouldn't be him and that if I needed anything to call him day or night. He rewound the film, put it in his canister, and placed it back with the others. I picked up Amber later that afternoon and brought her back to the house. I figured that we'd celebrate her return, so we ordered pizza and had a girls' night in. We watched movies, I painted her nails, nothing big, just something to give her a little fun from all that time laid up in the hospital. It was about 11 o'clock when Amber told me she was going to hit the hay. I told her to call me on my cell if she needed anything. She said she would and went upstairs. I put away everything, quickly washed a few dishes, locked up, and headed to my room. There was no way in hell that I was going to stay downstairs by myself. I checked in on Amber. She was just getting into bed. I reminded her to call my cell phone if she needed me. I closed her door and went to my room. Something woke me during the night. I don't know what it was. A feeling is the only way I can describe it. It was Amber. I felt that something was wrong. The fact that my door was now open when I had closed it before going to bed only confirmed my suspicions. I climbed out of bed and quickly made my way to Amber's room. The door to her room was ajar. I opened it slightly. What I saw took my breath away. It took everything I had not to lose control of my bodily functions. There, standing above Amber, was the little girl from the film reel. She was hunched over Amber, her mouth close to hers. It looked as if the little girl was inhaling some sort of greenish, white vapor from Amber's mouth. Suddenly she stopped, turning her face in my direction. There were no whites where her eyes should have been, only glossy black orbs. Her mouth was contorted like in a film strip, except in place of a little girl's bottom front teeth, there were enormous tusks. She lurched in my direction, her arms up in the air like in the film strip, except they were impossibly long and impossibly high up. Her knees were exceptionally bowed, and she waddled back and forth as she rushed towards me. I screamed, staggered back, and slammed the door to Amber's room. I raced to my room, slammed and locked the door. I jumped into the middle of my bed, grabbed my cell phone, and called Tom. There was a giggle outside the door to my room. Get the fuck away from me, I remember screaming. You can't come in here. There was nothing but static on my phone. The display showed that it was connected. I put it back to my ear. A little girl's whispering voice came through the phone. I'm already inside, you silly. The voice was followed by a shrill giggle. That's when the lights in my room went out. I swear to you that my heart must have stopped for five seconds. The fear was so intense that it felt like the wind had been knocked out of me. Here I come.
came a little girl's taunting voice. I turned in the direction of the voice. Through the moonlight from the gap between the curtains, I could see the silhouette of a little girl inching closer and closer to me across the room. I turned on the flashlight app on my phone and shined it in the direction of the voice. Nothing. Nothing was there. I moved the light away. There she was. Only closer. About halfway across the room. I moved the light back. Again, nothing. I leapt out of bed and bolted to the door. I unlocked it and tried to open it, but it wouldn't budge. I looked behind me. She was closer now, almost within distance to reach out and touch me. Here I come, came the little girl's voice, laughing teasingly. Here I come, came a deep, growling, demonic-sounding voice. I remember shrieking to the top of my lungs as I shined a light on my cell phone in her, its direction, and yanked and pulled for all I was worth on my other hand. Finally, the bedroom door flew open and I bolted out. I was suddenly stopped short. Something had grabbed the wrist of the hand I was holding the cell phone in, tightening around it like a vice. I thought my shoulder was going to get yanked from its socket. Gotcha, exclaimed the little girl's voice, followed by a deep rumbling laugh as if from the devil himself. Get off me! Get the fuck off of me, I remember screaming. Ooh, five little sausages. I wonder how they taste. Just a nibble. Just a little nibble. The voice mocked, going back and forth between that of a little girl and something from the darkest pit of hell itself. I could feel the hot, moist breath of whatever it was on my hand and the soft, wet skin of its lips on the tips of my fingers. I'd never been a religious person, but after having moved in with Tom, I found myself watching a popular televangelist Sunday mornings. I say this because I don't know why, but it was like my mind blanked out and I suddenly heard myself commanding whatever was holding my wrist to let go in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Instantly, my wrist was freed. I booked it down the stairs and outside. The next thing I remember was Tom embracing me on the sidewalk, rocking me back and forth. There were the flashing lights of two cop cars, and EMTs were loading amber into the back of an ambulance. A police officer came up to Tom and confirmed with him that he'd bring me down to the station in the morning. Tom gently lifted me into his car and took me back to his place. He said that he had gotten my call, but that there was static on the line. He told me that he had tried to hang up and call me back, but he couldn't disconnect the call. He said he could hear me screaming on the other end of the line and that he thought he had heard a little girl's voice. He told me that he had called the cops from his house phone. He beat them there and found me on the sidewalk screaming hysterically. He said that it took him ten minutes to get me to the point where I stopped screaming. The next day, once I had calmed down, I went to the police precinct and answered their questions. I told them that there had been a break-in, that there had been two guys and that one of them had tried to assault me. There was no way I was going to tell them what had really happened. I'd end up in a padded room somewhere. I tried following up with Amber. I found out from one of the nurses I had gotten to know while visiting Amber the first time that her parents had cut their trip to India short and that she was now home with them in Texas. Needless to say, I never went back for my phone or my things. 
I know I might sound like a coward not having tried to save Amber, but you have no idea what it was like. Sometimes I feel bad, but it was a do-or-die situation, and I did what I had to do. If I had to do it over again, I would have listened to Tom and never have gone back in the first place. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Ghost Notes and would like to take this opportunity to thank you for your continued support. We couldn't do it without you. Now go forth and aid in the conversion of the uninitiated masses. Mm -hmm.